Welcome to the MS Gym Podcast, where we give you the tools to live life by design, not by diagnosis. I'm your host, Brooke Slick, and here we go. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode on depression. Before we get started, I wanted to share a little something, a confession of sorts. When I was recently approached about doing an episode on depression, my first thought was, yes, absolutely. Listeners have definitely been asking for that. My second thought was, damn, no more procrastinating on this one, Brooke. You see, I've been wanting to do this episode for a while, but I was dreading it at the same time. I kept going back to thoughts of, this topic is so important to so many, I don't want to screw it up. How am I going to approach this topic? When I've never experienced it, and quite frankly, when I live pretty much on the other end of the spectrum, even though, like many of us, I've struggled with multiple MS hardships. Yes, I am a consummate cheerleader. I live with a permanent set of pom-poms in my mental arsenal. I knew it was time to do some research, and the more I read, the more confidence I was gaining about my angle on the situation. As I mentioned, I'm the one who's naive about depression. I represent that family member, spouse, caregiver, or friend who has absolutely no idea what to do or what to say to this person that you suspect may be suffering from depression. It was at this point I knew I could productively contribute to the conversation as well. My genuine lack of knowledge was going to be my superpower, not my downfall. Luckily, I didn't have to look far to find an educated resource to moderate this episode. Lisa Kelly, an MS gym member who's had MS for over 25 years, has a PhD in marriage and family therapy and specializes in chronic illness. She had just the credentials I was looking for and an even-keeled way of presenting the information that I knew would appeal to listeners. We then decided it was important to include in the conversation someone who's lived through bouts of depression. Enter Tracy Pokerbeck. She suffered from severe depression on two separate occasions in her past and stepped up to the plate to offer her raw insight on being in the depths of depression and finding her way out the other side. It's from this place that the three of us recently sat down and candidly discussed depression. I know I learned a lot. I hope you do too. Welcome, Lisa and Tracy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. On this early, early morning. I'll tell you what, we're going to get right to it. And I'm going to start with you, Lisa. The most important question, what are the signs of depression and how do we differentiate between what's depression and what just might be you're in a funk, you've had a bad day, and how would somebody who is a caregiver or a friend or a loved one recognize these signs in that person or how would the actual person recognize these signs? Great questions. But, you know, as I get ready to move into some of the kind of the signs, I think that it might be really important to kind of first talk about what depression is because I think that there is that feeling that we all have that from time to time, which is just we feel kind of down and, you know, it's just a normal part of our life. It's just we have good days and we have not so good days. And so, to distinguish them that when our emotions become kind of hopeless and despair and those kind of take hold and just don't go away, there may be signs of of depression. So it's more than just sadness and response to life struggles or setbacks. 
but depression kind of changes how we think, how we feel, how we function in our daily activities. It can interfere with our ability to work, our eating, our sleeping, enjoying life, or just being able to just get through our day can seem really overwhelming. Those are the kinds of signs of what may potentially be depression. I'd say some of the signs that I think that might be just for us to pay attention to or family members to pay attention to is that feelings of like hopelessness, lack of interest in daily activities, maybe there's appetite or weight changes, some sleep changes, anger and irritability, loss of energy, strong feelings of worthlessness or maybe some guilt. Okay. Uh, fre- frequent or recurrent mentions of death or suicidal thoughts or suicide attempts. Okay. Yeah, maybe even reckless behavior, um, engaging in escapist kind of behavior, maybe like substance abuse or just like reckless driving or just those kinds of things that are outside the, the norm for a person. Okay. I think those are some of the things that kind of stand out to really pay attention to. So I'm curious because I know, Tracy, you had said that you had had experienced depression in the past. And I'm wondering, some of those things that I listed, are some of those ones that maybe you had experienced? Yeah, quite a few of them, in fact, where I just wasn't interested in the things I used to be interested in because, well, let's face it, a lot of things I used to be interested in, I can't do anymore. <laughs> So, you know, I was having things taken away and I got caught up in this cycle of things that I could no longer do and then feeling like a burden to my family. And then the thoughts of suicide were definitely there as well. So when you said you got like kind of caught up in the the inability to do the things that you used to be able to do, tell me a little about that. Well, I'm a very social person. I love to talk to people. I like to be around people. I like to be busy doing stuff all the time and I don't leave my house. I still don't leave the house a lot, but it's a lot better now because I've got a social group. I've got, I can interact with people now and that's made a huge difference for me. And in what way, when you say you're interacting with people now, in what way are you interacting with people? Oh, doing video chats on Zoom or on Messenger. That's really a lot of fun because when you talk to people on Messenger, well, it's like you're in the same room with them. You don't feel so alone. You don't feel isolated. And that's really nice. I get all my social interaction without actually having to leave the house. Say, so it sounds like what you're doing is it's not just about being in the same room, actually physically being able to touch another person, but you're understanding that their support comes in other ways, even being able to virtually connect with other people. Exactly. Exactly. My question is, if you don't mind, Tracy, why aren't you leaving the house? What, what's keeping you from leaving the house? Um, my mobility, for the most part, it's difficult for me to transition outside of the house. I need my husband to help me. I've got a couple stairs I have to go down. Working on improving my walking and my endurance, but then there's also a little bit of fear in being outside because everything is so controlled in my home, very controlled environment, and it's very safe. Right. And so it's learning to kind of get back out there. When you, when you just mentioned learning to get back out there, when you say like learning, so, so your ultimate, ultimate goal then is to be able to get back out where you're not feeling so isolated? Oh, absolutely. I you know, want to be able to go to the store, want to be able to run errands more frequently. 
go visit my neighbor, check the mail. That'd be awesome to do that. And I'm assuming that during those times of depression that those things were not being done by you? No. No, those were not being done by me. I wasn't doing a lot of anything except sleeping. Because okay. I just want to. You said that is a sign, one of the signs. Yes, yes. How did your family, your husband, how, how did they, how did he approach you when he was seeing you sleeping all the time? Or, you know, or I guess my question is kind of twofolded for you. One, how did you know? that there was probably something something going on that really needed to be addressed? And two, how did he know? I would get up long enough to take care of things, like get the kids off to school, make meals, clean the house. This was, you know, earlier times in my depression when I could still, you know, do all of that stuff. But I, w- I was sleeping so much. And Troy wouldn't, he didn't really address a lot of it. He was let me do that. I think he didn't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that does actually happen too. Right. So the loved ones that are watching somebody go through that or feeling a little hopeless and themselves or how should I say more helpless themselves? Cause I'm not sure exactly what they need to do. And then it started kind of cycling and escalating to where I started feeling like a burden to everybody because my husband was doing so much stuff. I would just reach a point where I was like, well, I'm done. I can't continue to do this. I'm losing more and more every day. I don't see any way out of this. I felt bad that my husband had to do all the work, all the things that we'd wanted to do, we couldn't do. And I didn't know what to do at that point. Would you say that you knew that you were in a a depressive state? Would you say that you were recognizing that or did did it feel um, no. kind of just, okay. No, I did not, I did not realize that. I, I just thought that it, the next logical step would be if I were out of the way, everyone else's lives would go on. Yeah. I didn't really, I thought I was being very logical about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a very, very, I'm going to use the word normal, but people with depression may not recognize or acknowledge that they are depressed. They, they may not be aware of the signs and the symptoms of depression. So they think that the way they're feeling is normal. And like what you use, Tracy, the word logical, like it just made sense. Another reason I didn't, I think I was in denial about the depression because this was not my first time going through a major depression and having suicidal thoughts. I didn't think I would ever be back there again. And so I was kind of ignoring the really worrisome signs. And it was my daughter who finally says, no, you can't do this. You need to find something else. Lisa, let's say you're a caregiver or a loved one and you suspect that your loved one is entering a depressive state. What are some questions that you might ask that person? I know I wouldn't know what questions to ask. You know, maybe I would ask questions that would be insensitive, not purposely, Just things that I wouldn't think twice about asking aren't the right questions to ask. Right. I think that's a really good point, Brooke, because depression seldom gets better without treatment and could get worse. And with the right treatment approach, the person that you care about can get better. That is possible. They can get better as Tracy is sitting here today talking to us (laughs) and smiling. She can, you can get better. Yeah. 
so I think what I even heard that what Tracy just said too, and my first thing that I would say is about talking to the person. She said her daughter came to talk to her. It's very important that you, you know, that you as a loved one tell your family member what you've noticed and why you're concerned. I think that's first and foremost to be able to actually begin that conversation and then be willing to listen. You know, let your loved one know that you want to understand how they feel. That, you know, when the person wants to talk, just listen carefully to what they're saying. Avoid giving advice and opinions or making judgment calls on what they're saying. Just listening and being understanding can be a very, very powerful tool. What's something I shouldn't say? Yeah, it's a really good question, Brooke, and probably one that's so difficult to respond to because I think that different people are going to have different needs and different um, kind of requirements. Like some people might want you to really be there to be support them, really remind them of all the good things in their life. And then some people might say like, I don't want that. I need to find out why myself that all my life is good and why I need to be here. So the cheerleading sometimes can be not a good thing. And what I mean by cheerleading is telling them why they're thinking the way they feel or feeling and thinking the way they are is wrong. If that's not a good thing. Being able to be supportive and listen to them, remind them and let them know that this is a medical condition. This is not something of a weakness in them. This is not anything that, you know, a personal flaw or anything. It's more of a, of a um, it's either a potential medication symptom or maybe it could potentially be just more of a situational depression. And so with that, for me, I think the way that we approach that or how the loved ones approach it is going to be very different. And I remember Tracy saying that she had some moments in which she had kind of both experiences, situational depression, but also something that was a medication symptom. Right. My first one when I was 18 would have definitely been a situational one. I was 18. I was young. A lot of things were going wrong in my life. and. I, you know, in a moment of not really thinking, I just reacted, grabbed a bottle of sleeping pills, took it, ended up in the hospital getting my stomach pumped. But it was at that moment I realized I didn't want to die. And I kind of had a defining moment then after, you know, I had tried it, saying, I have so much to live for, you know, let's, you know, figure life out. And then I proceeded to do just that. And then fast forward half a lifetime later, I was on gabapentin and came very close to having a suicide attempt at that point. And not just an attempt, I was going through all of the planning process. I was going to go to the next state over where they did the assisted suicide and, you know, talk to my daughter about it, let her know, well, Turns out all I needed to do was get off the medication at that point, and then the fog cleared, and it was like, oh my goodness, what did I do? I really thought I would never be there again. Well, I might not have been had it not been for the medication. What stood out for me, Tracy, in that was you talked about little. what it sounds to me is that your why, that you were able to find your why kind of the the internal why, right? And so right. back to that cheerleading thing, we can't tell a person why they should be here and why their life is so worth it. They need to figure out the why within themselves. Absolutely. Um, and that why comes in, in many different ways. Um, and so being able to figure that out and, and 
going through that journey, but having some support system with you, telling so that your daughter was there for the second one. I'm assuming your husband and daughter were there for the first one. Well, you're 18 at that point. Maybe you didn't have your daughter. But I mean, that you had some support system around you where you were able to, to realize that the situation you got yourself in was, you know, there was lots of why. At 18, not so much. At 18, I had no support system. It was just that I came so close in the thought of having everything end at that moment. And I pretty much, in, you know, had to recreate and reinvent myself at that point. Who am I? Because at 18, what do we really know? We don't know who we are. I needed to figure out who I was. Great. And that so started what, that journey. Yeah. So the journey started by getting yourself to a place where once you were there, you recognize that's not where I want to be. So that important part becomes being able for caregivers, family members to be able to help the person recognize that maybe they're in the, in the space of where they're feeling that same way for them to start to, to figure out what their why is. Exactly. And I know it sounds very cliche, but when you reach, when you're at the very bottom, you've got nowhere else to go but up. And that was the truth. And when I think any lower at that point. And remembering our why. And the journey of everybody's why is going to be different. Um, we talked about, you know, on, on different discussion points where we talked a little bit about the stages of grief. And with those different stages, there is bargaining, anger, depression, denial, which is the depression part of it. And then also the acceptance. And, you know, everybody goes through those different things when you have some sort of a loss, whether it's a chronic health issue or whether it's a loss of a through death, whether it be through a loss of divorce, whatever it might be that there's a loss, that people go through these stages and they don't go from, you know, the first one to the second and to the third. It's not linear that way, but they will, may go from the first and then all of a sudden move straight into depression. They may back up to bargaining. They may move back into depression. They may move back up into denial and back into depression and then forward into, you know, acceptance at some point. But everybody's, everybody's journey is very different. Is what is and it sounds like what you're Tracy you're saying is that you got to that point and acceptance came to you when you realized like oh my goodness I really truly did not want to do that exactly and I think when it comes to the loss part it, it you know it may not be a loss of a loved one it might be a loss of what you what you thought your future was going to be the loss of your mobility you know it is it's like a death it's the death of an idea or a dream that you had for yourself. Yes. So, understandable. Yes, very much so. And it sounds like there should be, for the person who's caring for the person with depression, it sounds like there should be a lot less telling and a lot more asking. Yes, yes. I think that telling comes in when it becomes that your loved one's illness is severe and potentially life-threatening, that's when maybe the telling comes in and where you get them to a doctor, a hospital, emergency medical services. That's where the telling comes in. Um, but if it's not there and you're just seeing some of those other signs that were mentioned earlier, I think that's where the support and the listening comes in. Tracy, yeah. we, we were talking about your why and, you know, why um, the decision you thought you had made was one that was seemed like it made sense at the time, but then this why came about, which is like your reasoning for your reason for being. Tell me a little bit about how you found your why. Um, on, on, the, on the second one, 
once I got off the gabapentin, it was kind of a, a two-part thing for me because I had two things happen at the same time. I decided to stop taking the gabapentin and I found the MS Gym on YouTube. And so when I found the MS Gym, it was like, oh my goodness, there's people out here just like me. I'm not alone. We know that there's, we, we've heard the numbers. We know there's a lot of people with MS. But when you're at home and you don't leave your house, you don't see those people. They don't really exist until you join something like the MS Gym and boom, it's a whole different world. You've now got a community. You now have friends. You've got a coach that knows what he's talking about, knows his stuff. You know, and it was amazing for me. It was like all of a sudden I had a way to get connected and quickly figured out how to use Zoom and Messenger chat so that I, you know, could talk to people. And that helped. It was like being, being able to have a conversation and being able to see their face. That was huge for me. I didn't feel isolated. I didn't feel alone. Which is a very important part is to be able to not feel alone. That's where the listening, that's where being patient with ourselves, but also our family mem members needing to be patient with us as we kind of figure out this journey that we're on. And, and talking about being patient with yourself, that's actually huge because, um, and that also ties into the stages of grief because I went through a point where I was very angry was so angry with my MS, my failing body, my legs that wouldn't work, my legs that used to be able to dance, now they struggle to walk. And, you know, I don't know if this is something any of you guys have ever done, because it's kind of psycho, a little crazy, where I would actually pummel my legs with my fists and leave bruises, not the kind of bruises that meant I just did a really good release job the kind that, no, I was doing damage because I didn't like them. I hated them. I hated what was happening. I hated everything about my life at certain points. And that was one of the anger part of the, the grief stages was not a lot of fun. Sure, it wasn't fun for my husband either. But yeah. learn to love myself and put myself first and take care of myself. That made a huge difference. Which is hard at that point, because when you're, when you're in the midst of that, it's hard to even identify that you're in the midst of that. You right. know, sometimes people around us can see that a little more clearly, but we can't quite hear them because we're so in the, midst, in the middle of it. Yeah, and, and it's like, you know, go ahead, look at yourself in the mirror and look yourself straight in the eye and tell yourself that you love yourself. Yeah. You know, it's very therapeutic, but it's real hard to do. It, you'll have a lot of tears doing that, right? but it can be a very impactful thing to get to that point where you care about yourself and you love yourself again. But I think it's very important to get there. Lisa, I know uh, in the past we briefly discussed the fact that you had an experience with the MS gym where you had found the MS gym and thought this was the spot for you. You needed to give it a look, give it a try. Um, but it turned out a little differently than you thought. You want to tell us your story? When I first found it, I had, you know, stumbled upon it because I just Googled and found some YouTube videos of Trevor. And I was so thrilled. 
didn't feel like I quite had enough, but it was just like, okay, so what else, what else, what else I go trying to find? And I stumbled across, you know, the MS gym and then even more stuff. And I was pretty excited by that. But then I started to realize, oh, wait a minute. Um, so I have MS and this is not comfortable for me. And I found myself kind of starting to unravel because I had had MS for 25 years, but I was just starting to realize I had MS, <laughs> which yeah. sounds really strange. But I unraveled and I found myself in kind of that, that dark space, not where I was planning or, you know, suicide or anything like that. But it was a very dark space where the sleep was starting to increase. The not wanting to get out of bed was kind of, you know, certain kind of, it definitely was increasing. And I, so I got in, got in, realized that my connection with MS Gym was, I thought, was kind of like creating this bad space for myself. So I got a little nervous by that and I stopped. I stopped going in the MS Gym. I stopped looking at anything. I didn't want to know anything. I wanted to ignore it. And I wanted it to all go away, right? Denial. <laughs> Change the grip. Just deny it, deny it, deny it. And then I realized that, you know, through my family, just kind of seeing their faces and then kind of mentioning things to me and going like, you know, geez, mommy sleep awful lot. My husband looking, going to, um, I'm getting a little worried about some of these things and then pointing things out to me. And then I was like, yes, you know what? Didn't want to hear it, but I had to recognize it. And then I started realizing I was thinking about the MS gym a lot when I was lying in bed and sleeping and thinking and sleeping and thinking. And I realized that I did need to be there. And that was the space for me. And I think that that moved me into my acceptance because once I got out of that denial and got into the MS gym again and allowed myself just to absorb what there was for me to learn and for me to just to engage with others that it was all going to be okay. It didn't make me weak. It didn't mean that I was falling apart. It just meant I had now built a support system for myself that I didn't have. Because much like Tracy, I was isolating myself at times um, and just staying home. For you, it was the MS gym. Yes. Let's say somebody never finds the MS gym or they're not interested in the MS gym. There are other support groups out there online. And I know you have one of them. Yeah. What, can you tell us what the name of your group is? It's called Helping Hand Support Groups. It is on Facebook. It's not an interactive group, but what it does is point to other groups that I have. I have a whole series of different support groups that have different topic areas. It is educational, it's curriculum-based, and just really to, support, to provide some support to somebody or to caregivers who are just looking for some support. Again, it's at Facebook. It's called Helping Hand Support Groups. But again, that is just, it doesn't have a lot of information in it. I've made it very minimal just because I don't want to flood people with information. But then it does direct them to my actual website page and to a link where they can look around and see the different groups that I do offer. I also would mention that if a family member or if a person is finding themselves really in that dark, dark space, um, there is a national hotline. And I highly recommend it is available 24 hours a day and 365 days a year. So I highly recommend that somebody use that because that is the immediate assistance that somebody just might need at that moment. That number is 1-800-662-HELP, H-E-L-P, 1-800-662-H-E-L-P. That is, uh, again, 24 hours. I think that, that if somebody is finding themselves needing something right immediate, that is the place to go to. The support groups that I've created are really just that. They're educational in nature, 
so they're scheduled and so you know we're talking about something that sometimes is not scheduled and needs to be you know addressed right away great wonderful so lisa as we wrap things up can we kind of revisit review again what the signs of depression are yeah and again that's very individually based but there are some kind of general rules of thumb um, it's helplessness and hopelessness lack of interest in daily activities weight um, appetite and weight changes um, sleep changes anger irritability loss of energy feelings of worthlessness and of course the mention of death suicidal thoughts or suicidal attempts or suicide those are kind of would be some of the, one of the, the uh, major like factors. somebody's planning yeah and some of the things I think to do about that is to make sure that you're giving space for your family member to be able to have space to talk about this to be able to help them understand what's happening that this is not a personal flaw it is not a weakness that um, that there is help with treatment that things can get better that sometimes it takes the medication route sometimes it's the mental health provider route maybe it's a combination of the two but more so, it's importantly, is about the support, about being able to be there for them, to listen to them, to not provide their why, give them the space to be able to figure out their own journey of why, and just be willing to listen. And as far as the type of professional that somebody might go to, can you, you know, name a few different professionals who they should be seeking? like in particular, therapist or doctor or? Yeah, so um, the doctor, you probably already have a neurologist, or you probably have already have a, a, a general practitioner, definitely a good place to start. I don't know much about that, so I don't even wanna just be the expert on that, sir, but to go with the doctor that you have. In terms of the mental health portion of it, you wanna find a provider that deals with depression. You want to find somebody that that is kind of their area of expertise. But I would say chronic illness and depression is a really good place to start looking for somebody. There is a psychology today that you can go on and you can find, you can search for somebody. Trying to find like what Tracy did, find support groups, find something online, a way to engage with other people just so you can kind of start to bridge that gap of isolation and loneliness. And just maybe start providing some other information for yourself about about the why right that journey that you're on i would say probably you have the option of like psychologists and social workers and family therapists you know i would say a family therapist because that way your whole family could join in because this is a family event unfortunately this is not an individual event it doesn't include the whole family so i think i would also add in to look for a family therapist that specializes in those areas wonderful well, Lisa and Tracy, I cannot thank you enough for sharing today. Tracy, thank you so much for sharing your personal experience. It's going to be of great value to someone out there listening, I feel sure. Same with you, Lisa. I mean, these are things that none of us, none of us really know. Like, how do we know? How do we navigate this? And I think today we gave some people tools to help to do exactly that. So again, thank you, ladies, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you'd like to know more about the MS Gym, you can find them at www.themsgym.com on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you'd like to know more about what I've been up to, 
You can catch me at www.brookslick.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you on the next episode.